Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the second season of Lamplighters Podcasts. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. No matter who you are or where you are, no matter the time or experience you've had following Jesus, or if you haven't had any experience at all, we are grateful to be on this journey with you and look forward to becoming more of who God created us to be. So Dan, last week we took a look at Peter's vision of the clean and unclean animals that the Lord used to send him to, to Cornelius's house and really just to open the door for the Gentiles. What are we going to talk about today? Yes, last week was Peter's conversion, if you want to think of it that way, his 180-degree mm-hmm. yes. turn. Yes. Um, and we're going to go on with Peter's story this week, but first of all, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, I want to know the answer to this, but okay. anyway, did, when you were a kid, did you ever skip stones across a lake or a pond? Well, not only did I do it when I was a kid, I still do it with yeah. my grandchildren, and they're way better at it than I am. Oh, yeah. But it's fun. Yeah. Um, we did that a lot as a kid. Um, we had a dirt tank or like a pond behind the ranch house at the ranch. And that was our favorite spot because the water was always really still. Mm-hmm. And so inevitably with two brothers, there was a challenge mm-hmm. to see who could get the most skips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, mine, nine was my max. That's not bad. That's not bad. I thought it was pretty good. But yeah. they, of course, always got more than me. And I right. got bored. So I went to do something else. Uh-huh. And I found myself uh, entertaining myself by just sort of throwing rocks in to the dirt tank. Uh-huh. So that image came to my mind today when we were studying this lesson. So hold on to that because we are going to come back to okay. it. Okay. So we need to back up a little bit and set the stage for the text today. Um, there are a lot of people and places involved, but the history is important. So just kind of hang in there with okay. me. Right. Um, Meredith reminded us a couple of weeks ago about how much the book of Acts can be organized around individuals who have a conversion experience, a head-on with the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. where they are going one direction and they turn to go another direction. Uh And not only for individuals, but also that impacted the early church because that's how the Spirit was growing the early church, right? right? So we saw that first at Pentecost when the original disciples were emboldened Mm -hmm. to share about Jesus openly and very powerfully, uh, especially Peter, You know, the Mm -hmm. one that had been so afraid that he denied his Lord and left him at the cross. And then we looked at Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus and his about face from persecuting the church to preaching Jesus with equal fervor. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. It's just almost impossibly dramatic, that one. And last week we looked at Peter's conversion um, when the Lord turned him 180 degrees Mm -hmm. and showed him that his prejudices were incorrect, they were not from God, and that he used Peter to open the church to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot has happened between Peter's time with Cornelius that we studied and this week. So I'm going to go back and kind of give you a synopsis of that. Okay. Um, Word that the chief apostle Peter okay. had been eating with Gentiles spread like wildfire, <laughs> as oh, you can yeah. imagine. I can imagine. It was shocking. It's shocking. And so when Peter returned to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, he faced a lot of doubt and skepticism and judgment and questions because those believers were just as shocked as Peter had been. 
mm-hmm. when God told him that he was including everyone. Before he had his vision. Right. Fixed, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Gentiles now were no longer unclean, and they had been unclean for at least 1,400 years. Mm. So this was a radical shift for those believers in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. They absolutely disagreed with what Peter had done. But they did respectfully listen to him tell the story. And he told them, as he told them what had happened in Cornelius's house, he got to the part of the Gentile Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come upon the Gentiles, the same way he had come upon the Jewish believers, that those believers in Jerusalem believed him they were convinced that Peter was correct and that they had been wrong in their beliefs. So there's a lesson for that in us, that we should always listen to people. Yeah, that's what struck me is, you know, that they had, I don't think we do that anymore. We're so set in our ways and our own beliefs that we just close our minds. And you can't understand unless you listen first. Right, right. So that was kind of one of the takeaways for me, even though that wasn't in the lesson this week. Uh, But anyway, it became apparent to those Jewish believers that God was doing a great and mighty work and that Gentiles were going to be included in that. Well, I mean, it sounds like you can't um, exaggerate the importance of this about face for these people. This was really, um, yeah, like you said, 180 degrees different. Yeah, it's it's as dramatic as Paul's conversion. Yeah, it really is. uh, For the entire Jewish believing community, mm-hmm. right? Um, in fact, we, you and I, would not be sitting here doing this podcast today uh, if that the impact of that transformation had had not been felt by Peter. Yeah. So we got included because Peter had that vision wow. and was obedient to it. Okay, so we're moving on. Okay. We've had the stoning of Stephen mm-hmm. and the persecution of believers in Jerusalem escalating. So many of them began to scatter around the Mediterranean, around particularly around the Eastern Mediterranean. And you can see that the Spirit was on the move and that God was expanding the church, using the persecution to blast people out of Jerusalem into the world. And Scripture tells us the Lord's hand was with them. Oh, and, what a great picture. Oh, yeah, and many people believed. So one of the places that the gospel fell on particularly fertile soil was in Antioch. Now, Antioch was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. Okay. So it was a big deal. Uh, It was in ancient Syria, which today is mm, modern Turkey, the southeastern part of modern Turkey. Okay. It was at a crossroads. So it was very significant, north, south, east, west, Mm -hmm. Antioch. And big things were happening there that the church in Jerusalem found out about. Mm -hmm. So they sent Barnabas the encourager that we met a couple of weeks ago, they sent him to Antioch to take a look and see what was going on, right? Now, that connection between the church in Antioch and Barnabas was very important in the spread of the gospel and in the early church, as we're going to see by what happens next. Mm -hmm. So there's one character we've left hanging, right? And that's Paul, Mm -hmm. Saul, Paul. Right. He had been in Jerusalem The Jews were trying to kill him, and so the church sent him home to Tarsus to keep him out of danger Mm -hmm. and to lessen their danger, frankly. So he had been sent back to his hometown of Tarsus, and there he waited. And here's the interesting thing. 
We can't tell from the actual text how long that was. It sounds like it was a short time. But in further study of the text, what we realize is he waited in Tarsus for nine years. Oh, wow. Yeah. You don't think of that, do you? No. And can you imagine, Paul, what we know of his personality? That it probably wasn't an easy wait. <laughs> I, no. I mean, nine years is a long time. And I honestly, Jan, I always pictured this story as he was knocked down, blinded, converted, got up and immediately went out and started his mission. Yeah, he didn't. He had to wait. So you know the spirits at work in him Absolutely. in that nine-year waiting yeah. period. Yeah. Well, anyway, in the midst of all this waiting, one day Barnabas shows up in Tarsus, and he's looking for Paul. And he took Paul back to Antioch, where the two of them, Barnabas and Paul, made this preaching duo team. And they preached, and they taught, and they discipled the new believers in Antioch for a year. So Paul is back. I didn't realize he had been gone for nine years. Exactly. But now that I know he's been gone for years, he's back and he's sort of hovering on the edges. Yes. Getting back into the yeah. into the scene. And we're gonna we're gonna start that next week. Okay. okay. We're gonna go back to Paul next week. Okay. But this week we're going to finish up with Peter. And okay. you're probably thinking, finally, we're to today's scripture. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's fairly straightforward. King Herod Agrippa the first was the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, you you may or may not remember that Herod the Great was the one who beheaded John the Baptist mm-hmm. and who uh, sent Jesus to the cross to be crucified. And this is his grandson, who apparently picks up right where his grandfather left off, mm. because he is persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. Well, actually all over, but particularly in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. because it seemed to please the Jewish leaders, and he thought that would consolidate his claim to the throne. So the danger for Christians in Jerusalem was real mm-hmm. and it was imminent and it had been going on for several years. Herod Agrippa killed James, the brother of James and John, uh-huh. that James. Uh-huh. And he also seized Peter. He really wanted to get rid of Peter because Peter was the head of the church, right? Right. So he arrested him at Passover. Interestingly enough, the timing of it. And he threw him in jail and scheduled a mock trial, basically, and an execution for after Passover. So he's good at those mock trials. Yeah. That was a (laughs) foregone conclusion. That's right. right. This time he was determined there was going to be no escape. He wasn't going to get away like Jesus did. Right. Right. So he chained Peter to these guards, two Mm -hmm. of them. Mm hmm. And there was a team of 16 soldiers. No, two in the cell, two at the door, two outside, two at the gate, and they rotated. So he was constantly guarded by all these soldiers. Things were looking hopeless for Peter. I would say. Yeah. He was literally bound by chains in a locked cell. So we come to the famous words, but God... Oh, yeah. some of the best words there exactly. are in Scripture. He had different plans. And the first thing we are told is that the church was earnestly praying for Peter, mm-hmm. earnestly praying for Peter. And the implication is they had been praying for days, not just one hour. Right. But clearly through the night, they were having vigils for Peter. And what follows in the text for today is a divine rescue, and I think some divine humor as well. Anyway, Peter 
is sound asleep in this cell the night before he is scheduled for execution. That alone seems impossible. I know. How He's asleep. asleep. The spirit apparently brought him the peace that passes understanding. Mm-hmm. And he is so deeply asleep that what happens next he thinks is a dream. So what happens is an angel appears suddenly and light comes on in the cell. And this is kind of funny to me. It's like the angel is talking to a two-year-old. You know, <laughs> he, he shakes him and wakes him up and then says very specific one-by-one instructions. You know, Peter, get up. Okay, put on your clothes. <laughs> now put on your sandals. Peter, wrap your cloak around you. <laughs> Follow me. I think he thought Peter was dim-witted. I'm not sure. But anyway, it it was like Peter was so stunned he could only follow one command at a time. Right. You know, right. like a little kid. Anyway, the chains fell off in the angel's presence. The cell door opened. The guards were struck deaf, dumb, and blind or went to sleep or something. Mm-hmm. They didn't pay any attention at all. Mm-hmm. The main gate of the prison opened magically mm-hmm. by itself. And you see every single detail of this rescue was supernatural. Yeah. Man didn't have anything to do with it. Peter was as secure as man could make him. And yet, Mm. God brought him out of that prison. Okay. So, the aha moment came to Peter after he had walked the length of one street. And it says he came to himself. It's almost like he woke up at that right. point. Maybe it's like, the, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a dream. Right. And maybe <laughs> it was the cool, you know, night air, dawn, uh-huh. whatever it was. Uh-huh. He kind of woke up and went, whoa. I love what he did. His first instinct was to praise God mm. because the Lord saves yeah. in a variety of different ways. But his second instinct was to head home. So he turned to go to the house where his community was in residence where they were praying for him. And it was the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And they had been up all night praying for him. And maybe for several nights in a row, Mm -hmm. we don't know that. But Mm -hmm. you know they were afraid, they were exhausted, they were hopeless. Um, The possibility of death for Peter was very real. And for them, too, they Mm -hmm. were behind locked doors again, Mm -hmm. just as they had been after Jesus' crucifixion. So it's an emotional roller coaster they've been on. Um, he's their leader, and after tomorrow morning, they're not going to have him anymore. Yeah, he's heading home for his safe spot, right? Yeah, it's it's really beyond. Clearly, it's beyond human explanation. We can't explain why these things happen, and I can't imagine. First of all, what he had to have known he was going to be executed. There was mm-hmm. not going to be any kind of trial that he had any hope of surviving. He was yeah. he was waiting for his execution, and yet he was still asleep. Okay, clearly, that's a Holy Spirit thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's no other way. And that's the kind of connection I want to have with oh. the Holy Spirit, to be able to have that kind of peace no matter the circumstances. Mm-hmm. That deep trust. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know— even though it felt like a dream to him, it wasn't. Right. And I can imagine this is, it's not just Peter feeling this way. This is everybody who's experiencing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably the first thing it, that they want is an explanation. Wait a minute. How did you get out here? What yeah. are you doing here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Which brings us to that next little scene, which I think is seriously one of the funniest ones in Scripture. Okay, let's go for it. Where Peter's hurrying to the house, and he's eager to be with his friends, with his community. He is excited to share about the Lord's supernatural rescue of him. And and he's so excited to be reunited with his people who loves he loves and who loves him, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes to the house and he he knocks on the door because it's locked, right, right? Right. So this little servant girl um, comes and peeks through the peephole uh-huh. and identifies Peter. Mm. And she's so excited, she runs off. And stunned. Yes, stunned. <laughs> so excited and stunned. She runs off to tell the other believers who, guess what? Don't believe her. Why would they? I know. And, and she's like, no, wait, wait. And that's another Holy Spirit moment that the, the Spirit is giving this servant girl the boldness to keep insisting, no, I really did see Peter. Ah, yeah. Now, this whole group in this house, right, has trouble believing the miracle mm-hmm. because for them, reality was Peter's execution. Yeah. And so they thought she was crazy. Um, eventually, though, they go and open the door, and the text says they were astonished. I think that's probably a real understatement. Um, and Peter came in, was reunited with them, recounted the story of his supernatural rescue, and then it says he left for another place. Hmm. Um, there's a time to stay and face danger, mm-hmm. and there's a time to leave. And the Spirit said, Peter, this is the time for you to leave. Because not only are you in danger, but you're endangering these, your community here. Right. Of course, where are they going to look for him? Right. They're going to look for him. Right there in that home. house. And exactly. He did, his, he did what he needed to do. He needed to let them know he, did. he was safe. But now. But now we don't know where he went. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And this is the last time we see him in Scripture, uh, except for a brief appearance in Act 15, where he comes back to the Council of Jerusalem and they untangle the business about do believer, do Gentile believers have to become Jews first? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And all that. So we don't, he really disappears from the story at this point. Okay. And James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the letter James, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Okay. And Paul, remember we left him in Antioch preaching. Yes. yes. Paul <clears throat> becomes was formerly main, Saul. Exactly. Yes. Paul becomes the main figure in the story of the spread of the gospel around the Roman Empire. Okay. And that's what we're going to turn our attention to next week. Okay. That's the story. It's simple. It's straightforward. And I'm thinking, how in the world does it apply to us? Do you have thoughts about that, Lynn? Well, what comes to mind to me, first of all, is that we should never underestimate the power of prayer. Mm. And not just personal prayer, but prayer and community. And not just not just um, the power of prayer, but our responsibility to pray, mm. I think, is is huge. We talk all the time about prayer being conversation with God. He is our greatest comforter in all situations. There are situations that, you know, w- there's nothing else we can do but pray. And so we should. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, we should. And, you know, I know you have experienced this. I've experienced it more times than I can count. There is so much comfort in knowing that people are praying for you. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that is when you when someone you know and love is in in a bad situation, it's comforting that you can pray for them because so often there's nothing else that yeah. you can do. So there's comfort on both sides of that. And I, you know, I think 
clearly this was one of those situations where they could not do anything else but pray. I exactly. mean, they, the, the army was too powerful. I mean, you know, the power surrounding him in prison was was far more than they could ever do anything about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think we need to remember that we can always pray and that God answers prayer, period. It's a promise he <laughs> makes us. We have heard he never breaks his promise. I think the hard thing for us is that he doesn't necessarily answer our prayers the way we want them to be answered. Exactly. But that doesn't mean he's not hearing them and answering them. Exactly. Exactly. That's an, an important part of our community. And we, we so often say, well, I can't do anything but pray. Mm-hmm. Well, that's in actual fact the most powerful thing right. we can be doing. It's the right. first thing we ought to do. You but know. as you know, yeah. here, here's my same old story. I want to do something. I want to do well, something. Well, you are doing something. You're praying. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> it also was a reminder to me to be on the lookout for the answer. Yeah. You know, as exactly. you said, it it may not come in the way we're expecting. Right. But if we're not looking, we're not going to recognize the answer when it comes. Exactly. So we need to keep our eyes wide open. And then remember to be grateful for the answer. Sometimes I get so excited that the answer came that I forget to say, thank you, God. That was yeah. really, yeah. that was really sweet and gracious of you. Great you reminder. Know. Well, um, there are lots of other thoughts in this text. Um, one that came to me pretty forcefully, actually, was that God frees us. And he frees us from all kinds of chains mm-hmm. and all kinds of jail cells. Um, he frees us from addiction. He frees us from pride. He frees us from fear, mm-hmm. from jealousy, from all those other things that can keep us bound up and not living the abundant life that he wants us to live. So it's not a just a literal jail cell here. Right. But there are spiritual chains that God also frees us from. However, I want to go back to the rocks in the pond because that was such a vivid image for me. Okay. Uh, You know what happens when you toss one in? Ripples. Yeah. Lots of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they start where the rock disturbed the surface of the water and then they just proceed outward from that point, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it occurred to me that in my own personal history, and the history of the church was mm-hmm. very much like that image. Um, every person we have studied so far has been like a rock tossed into the pool of the first century. Mm-hmm. Now, the story of Jesus spreads wider and wider mm-hmm. and wider until you can see concentric rings overlapping. And that's how the, the church grew. It's how the Spirit carried God's message. Mm-hmm. and. It's how he works still today, if you think about it. Yeah. Some rocks, admittedly, are bigger than others. Mm-hmm. Like Paul, mm-hmm. he made a big splash. His ripples went far and wide. We still feel them today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every rock, every rock in the Spirit's hands makes a ripple that the church can't do without. Mm. Think of the little rocks that have played such crucial roles in the story so far. They appear only one time, as Meredith reminded us a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We had Ananias in Damascus, without whom we wouldn't have had Paul. Right. We had Cornelius in Caesarea, without whom we wouldn't have had Gentiles. Mm-hmm. We had Rhoda in Jerusalem mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so uh, insistent in her own little way. All of these were essential to the future and the growth of the church, and God used them all spectacularly. 
Okay, so here's the question for the week. You have to use your holy imagination and okay. imagine yourself to be a rock. Okay. Okay. You can be a different size or shape or color, whatever you want, right? And imagine the Holy Spirit has tossed you. Okay, so the question is, who are your ripples touching? Mm-hmm. And whose ripples have touched you? Oh. Not just individually, but in the church, right? Because as we were reminded, every single person is essential to the kingdom of God. That's such a great visual, Jan, because I don't think there's a single person out there who hasn't seen a a rock drop into water and the ripples that are resulted, Mm -hmm. no matter how big or how small that rock is. Exactly. That's that's a great picture. That's that's a good thing for us to focus on. Who, Who do your ripples touch and whose ripples have touched you? Okay. That's great. Well, until next time. 